technical problems this morning, but it seems like everything is straightened out now. So welcome to our service here at the Boom of Church of Christ. We're glad that you're here, uh, and we're always welcome visitors with us, and we are so glad that, uh, that you've taken out the time to be here with us this morning to worship the Lord. One thing before we continue on, Brother Luther Mormon will be having surgery on Tuesday, so we need to remember him. <clears throat> him and our prayers. We come together this morning to worship God. And let's start our time together in prayer. <clears throat> our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the things that you do for us every day. Thank you for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, even when we don't even realize the things that you're doing for us. We pray this morning that you'll be with Brother Luther as he has surgery this week. Help him to come through the surgery and to recover fully. Father, we are thankful for Ken and his ability to preach the word to us. And we pray that we will put aside the cares of this world and worship you in a manner pleasing to you during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
No PowerPoint. Okay. Technical difficulties this morning. That ain't gonna stop nothing. If you will, take out a song book and open it up to uh, 610, number 610, which will be the first song. <clears throat> There shall be showers of blessing. <clears throat> Oh, my God. 
time, we'll go to her for the following. Let us pray. Most kind and loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Father, for the privilege that we have this morning to assemble, Father, here. We pray, Father, that uh, the things that is done here this morning will come up as acceptable worship under thee, Father. We're so thankful for all that you do for us, Father. We're so thankful for this congregation, Father, and, and all it represents. We just pray that you would be with uh, the leadership of our congregation, Father, that you would bless them in a way that, uh, with many blessings, Father, that as they serve uh, here, that uh, they would do so in a way, Father, that would be pleasing in thy sight. And this congregation would grow, Father, both in numerically and spiritually, Father, ask that you would be the, with each one of our leaders. We pray, Father, that you would be with the congregation as we go about uh, selecting new deacons, Father. Just ask that you would uh, bless uh, the guys that's, been will that's willing to serve, Father, that uh, you would help each one of them as, as you see fit, Father. We're so thankful, Father, for our health and our well-being, but we have many in the congregation, Father, that are sick. And we just pray thy special blessings to be upon each one of them. We pray thy special blessings to be upon our, those of our number and those without, Father. And we have those of our number that are, in, that are really sick right now. We pray a special blessing for Sister Sandra Green, Brother Buster, Father, as he's caring for, and, and he is also sick, and some of the family members, we just pray that you especially be with them, Father. Be with Brother Luther as, as he's facing surgery, Father, that he will have a good outcome. We pray now, Father, that uh, you would be with uh, Brother Ken as he comes and proclaims thy word this morning, that you would be with him, and Father, that uh, he would be able to present the lesson in a way that he has prepared it and in a way, Father, that would be most beneficial to thy cause. And be with us as we, as listeners, Father, that we would listen attentively, we would take it into our hearts, Father, and we could be better because of it. We just pray now, Father, that you would go with us throughout the rest of this service and help us always to live, Father, closer to thee. We know that we fail at times, Father, we just ask that you would please forgive us when we do and when we turn from it. We just ask now that you would uh, just accept our prayer in thy precious son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the invitation song, mark in your book, 642, 642. Let the lower lights be burning. Song before the lesson, 634, 634. 
We'll work till Jesus comes. Oh, land of rest for thee, I sigh when will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home. We'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. Here, Jesus Christ, I plead for rest. He bade me cease to roam and lean for suffer on his breast. <clears throat> conducts me home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. I This morning's reading will come from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. I'll be reading from the New King James. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you on this first day of the week. We do have a lot of people who are sick. And Sister Sandra Green became very ill during the week. They feared that she may have had a stroke. But tests indicated that 
she has COVID. And apparently everybody who was ministering to her then became victim to that disease. So please remember them, but especially her, it's, it's, it's difficult for her dealing with an illness like that. And then Brother Luther, he fell off a roof, which is not uncommon. He jumps off of roofs, but he did not land properly this time like a cat. And he injured, well, several things, but a lingering problem is his shoulder. And so we pray that his surgery on Tuesday is a great success and that he's able to recuperate quickly and I want to say get back to work, but the man is a working machine. So I hope you can pace yourself as you get back to normal. And then Chopper Taylor. Chopper's had a, a lot of issues over the years, especially with his feet and so forth. But I had a, a test recently and they found something on his liver that they're concerned about. And so... Brenda was asking that we would pray for Chopper this morning as he has a biopsy on Wednesday. Of course, we pray that it's nothing, that everything's benign and he's okay. But of course, we relegate all of that to God's will. It's just, isn't it? It's just our will that everything be okay. So Chopper, we're going to pray for your blessings today. And I, 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 love, I love the things that this congregation does. And one of the many things that happened this week was a banquet last night. Yeah, a banquet over there in the annex. It was put on by our youth for, I'm going to say the golden circle and qualify that with 55 and up. <laughs> because, you know, I guess that puts me in the older group there as I was ministered to in every way last night. And it was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. I appreciate the young people and their love for older members of this congregation. I appreciate our golden circle level members and the love they have for the young people. It was just a, a beautiful thing to see. And thank you to everybody who organized that, made it possible. I just love when various groups of our body mingle together and enjoy time with each other. It's just, it's terrific. So again, thank you for that. Today, I wanna, I wanna celebrate with you marital love. If you're not married, then today we'll hopefully introduce to you something that is very precious in this world. Perhaps only second to our salvation itself is the joy in the celebration of marital love. And if ever there were a text that gets to the heart of what that means, it's this one from the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Before we start that, though, to me, it's, it's a beautiful thing to talk about, but it's heavy. And 
not only will we, we be talking about what it is to be in a married relationship, but also about those of us who are children of God, those who have obeyed the gospel, what it is to be in that relationship with Jesus, which is the primary source from which all love flows. So as we talk about these things, I'm, I'm praying that a couple of things happen to all of us, myself included, that we appreciate what God has made possible in the joining of two people together in marriage. And then secondly, what joy it is to be a Christian and what it is that we can expect in our loving relationship with the Lord. Hope I can teach that today and also myself be the recipient of its message. Let's pray that God will bless us in that regard. Father, thank you for this first day of the week. Thank you for this great time that we have to assemble together, not just to, to see one another, which is itself a joy, but to participate together in worshiping you. And Father, I pray that everything we've done up until this point and will continue to do has you as our focus. I pray, Lord, that all that we offer is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. I pray, Lord, that you will bless these folks that we're concerned about here today. Bless Luther as he faces surgery. Bless Sister Sandra as she is healing from this disease and other family members. And bless Chopper, Lord, as he's got some unknowns in his health today. We pray that his biopsy on Wednesday will reveal uh, some things for doctors and whether it's just to rule out uh, other problems or to identify something, whatever it is, Lord, we're, we're trusting you every step of the way. And in, in all things, Lord, we, we just depend on you. We don't take one step without thinking of you first. We're just like little children in that regard. And I hope we'll always be that way, not one step, except that you're involved in it. So thank you, Lord, for taking ownership of all these who are sick. And today, uh, thinking about Chopper in particular as, as he faces a biopsy. Pray for good returns. Bless us now, Lord, as we think about two things in particular. Think about our married relationships. Whether we're married or not, there is the beauty of two being joined as one. I pray, Lord, that that will uh, come forth in our meditation today. Lord, help me to communicate that as I prepare myself. But I am human and subject to mistakes. So I pray, Lord, that even if that happens, that your truth will come through anyway and that you'll be with those who hear your word and read it for themselves, that they'll be convicted by it. If we're not measuring up in these ways to your expectation of us, then I pray you'll challenge us deep within our hearts to make things right. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to accomplish in us through your word here today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If, if I were going to celebrate love with you, as is my intention today, the love that you find in a married relationship, then of all the texts in the Bible that talk about marriage, this text right here, the one that Adam read for us just a few moments ago, will be the text that I would use to describe for you the sheer depth and meaning within a relationship of marriage. The raw experience of love that is described there. A love that is very strong, a love that is tenacious, a love that's vehement, a love that is unquenchable. Perhaps, and of course our Bibles don't do this for us, maybe the editors who will write extra pieces within the Bible itself as introductory material, maybe they will do this, but the Bible doesn't set out to describe for us in the midst of a writing what is the theme or the purpose of the book. But if ever there were a theme for this book, it would be found right here in these two verses. Now, Solomon says as he is writing this by inspiration, speaking on behalf of primarily two different individuals. One is the Shulamite who is desirous of the love of her beloved. So primarily we have those two objects. The Shulamite, the woman, the maiden in this story with breathless delight and love for her beloved says to set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Not to set something as a signet or something on the outside to represent it as though I were wearing, wearing a ring to remind me of my promise in marriage, but she says set me as that, let me be the seal. In our culture, we don't think that much of seals. Perhaps when you go to get a document notarized, you, you recognize the seal, which is a stamp of authority. And in that time, especially among the Jews, when something was considered to be a matter of great significance, when I wanted to indicate that I take ownership of something, I possess it, I have authority over it, it's mine. I would have a signet ring, which I might wear on my finger or put on a chain around my neck. Something that was handy that when I wanted to put my seal of authority on it, when I wanted to demonstrate absolute ownership of a thing, I would take that signet ring, which was unique among all other rings, something that was uniquely mine, and I would stamp it either into some clay or maybe even to wax. And then with that hardened, it would represent with absolute certainty that I am the one that possesses that. I own that. And so here comes this maiden so in love 
with her beloved that she says, I, I, I'm not using the signet ring. I, I'm not saying let's, let's take some external here. I'm telling you, I want to be the seal. I want to be emblazoned upon you. I want my very self to be imprinted upon you. I take absolute ownership of you in this relationship. What in the world is being described here of the, of the depth of a marriage relationship? Sometimes I'll, I'll have young people come into my office. They want to talk about getting married. I'll say, we are so in love. And I'll say, well, describe that for me. Well, you know, we were at such and such a place and I saw her across the room. As soon as I saw her, our eyes met. I knew we were meant for each other. And I think, wow, you know, that sounds like one of those Disney stories or one of those Hallmark movies. But that is not what we are talking about here. It's not a glance. It is not an infatuation. It is the intensity and the depth of a love that says, I am yours and you are mine. And as many would take this also as an allegory, I believe it also typifies the love that exists between Christ and his church, and of course reciprocated a must-be sort of love between Christ and his church. I want to say in the first place that marital love is strong. He says in this text that love is as strong as death. That's pretty morbid. I just, I'll be honest with you, when I read that, I was like, wait, what? Love is as strong as death? But then I, I remembered, wait, we're, we're not carrying our mind to a funeral home. We're not standing in the line as we approach the casket. We're not bringing about remembrances of a life gone by. The idea is that the strength of love, how, how would I measure it? Perhaps the only thing that is of absolute concrete decision, something once undertaken is absolutely final, something that is totally locked in and what meets that level of intensity more than the idea of death itself? Death still reigns. Now we talk about Jesus who has defeated death and we talk about the resurrection and all of those things, but until such time as the Lord returns... Until such time as you and I die and then we are resurrected to life again, until such time as those moments occur, death is still a major force. And it is something that all of us face. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, for it is appointed for men to die once. And after this, the judgment. But Men are going to die. That's the expect, 
expectation. It's something that everyone succumbs to. He says love is absolutely that strong. Okay, so love that's all powerful. What what exactly would that look like? I want to tell you about the strongest man who ever lived, Samson. You can read about his story in the book of Judges beginning in chapter 13, but Samson's strength was unparalleled before him or after him. He was a child of promise. He was a child under a Nazarite vow from before his birth until his death. So under that vow, promises are made and Samson is reckless and goes about his life with total disdain for the vows that his parents had made or the vow that he was under. Yet God had perpetuated that strength And in his reckless nature, just think about the images of Samson and his interaction with his enemies, the Philistines. Samson had such incredible strength that with bare hands, he could rip apart a lion. The Philistines had angered him in foolishness related to a marriage promise. And in his anger, in his quick reaction, he slew 30 men. Later, he would take up the jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand men. With great brute strength, he could pull up not only the gates of the city, but all of the posts and carry them to the top of the mountain. His strength was unparalleled. That is, until he fell in love. And no matter how great the incredible strength of Samson, Delilah was able to slay him through his heart. How powerful, how strong is love. And so, too, the strength of our Savior in regard to us. We talked about death and its power and its, and its comparison with love. And, and I was thinking about taking that, you know, just as far as that could go. In, in Christ's love for us is the expression of his love to the extent that that love has even power over death itself, both a physical death and of spiritual death, so is the love of Jesus. Physical death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God for the victory which comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Jesus loves us so much, he's not, he's not leaving us rotting in the grave, but one day we'll be resurrected into an immortal, eternal existence. His love transcends physical decay, physical death. And so too, his love transcends even spiritual death. Because of sin, we die. For the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Wait, wait, what? We sin, we die. Yeah, but he says this gift, what gift? Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and following, that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us when, when we were eternally lost, separated from God because of our sin, condemned to spiritual death. And yet Jesus, even in our sinful state, died on that cross to make possible our freedom from sin in obedience to the gospel. It is Jesus Christ and his love for us, a love like an emerital relationship is stronger than death. And then he describes it further. As he's going to tell us that marital love is something that is tenacious. It just, it just hangs on. It won't let go. Jealousy, he says, as cruel as the grave. Jealousy. That's an interesting word to use with regard to love, don't you think? Because most often when we think of jealousy, we think of its sinful state. Desirous of something else. Wishing it were mine. But wait a minute, that, that's really not the case here. This is talking about a love that exists, that, that is stronger than death itself. And, and now, in connection with that kind of love, jealousy as strong as, as the grave it is cruel, it's unrelenting. I was thinking about a description of God himself in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14. That we are not to worship any other gods for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. What does that mean? Just as we were talking about the, the, the maiden wanting to put her, be, be the seal on her beloved's heart, so is the idea of God's relationship with us. God in his relationship with us has implanted himself you are mine. God is not interested in sharing us with anybody or anything. Thus, the, the commandment of separating oneself from any other God, for God is a jealous God, that is, that he has taken possession of us and he will not let us go. Tenacious that solid, unyielding grip upon us. That is God's love for us. 
his desire with regard to us. You know, there are some amazing marital relationships that you could very much say are descriptive of the sense of jealousy as cruel as the grave. The grave doesn't give up its dead. Those who have died don't come forth freely. We can't go to them. It is, it is unyielding strength that holds back the dead and the doors of death. And so in a marital relationship, we're talking about folks who are so in love that despite the circumstances, the challenges, and the difficulties that life will throw at them, they will not yield. In Genesis chapters 17 and 18, you had the story of the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they loved each other. There's no doubt about that. They got in trouble together. They lied for each other. They faced life and all its uncertainties and the promises of God together. As much as we refer, we refer to Abraham as the father of the faithful, so too it would be absolutely appropriate to think of Sarah as the mother of the faithful. For Sarah was there right by Abraham's side, even when God's promises seemed to be impossible. Yet they continued on. And Sarah, it just ate a mind to, to see this thing realized, having been told by her husband, look, we're packing up, we're leaving. Wait, what? Oh, and by the way, you're going to be a mother. What? Again? 25 years later, maybe. In the ensuing path between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise were lots of mistakes. Even Sarah participated in that, thinking maybe if he had my handmaiden, maybe that will satisfy the promise. Year after year after year, not seeing the thing fulfilled, mistake after mistake after mistake, lying at least twice about their relationship and still realizing ultimately the promises of God. I don't know what your relationship is like, but maybe you've had some of that. Maybe, maybe it could be said that, yeah, you two, you get in trouble together. Yeah, you make mistakes, but ultimately our focus is the promise of God. No matter what comes our way, we're going to remain faithful to God. That was Abraham and Sarah, our parents in the faith. Or what about Jacob and Rachel? Now there's a messed up story, Genesis chapter 29. Jacob, Jacob, I guess, epitomizes what I described for you a moment ago. Love at first sight. He fell for Rachel. No doubt about that. And he goes to Laban, I want her as my wife. Hey, you work for me seven years, she's yours. I'll do it. And then Laban, oh, he is a deceiver. He pairs Jacob up with the older sister. What? Hey, I tell you what, sign up for another seven years. You can have Rachel for sure. Instead of creating a big fuss and a fight and creating family issues, another seven years. Year after year after year in love with Rachel. 
Leah produces lots of children in this relationship. Rachel's heart is broken. She begs God for children. Ultimately, she'll be blessed with two, Joseph and Benjamin. Year after year after year, the pain, the anguish, misunderstandings, disfortune, and yet, all through that, the love between Jacob and Rachel did not diminish. I'm going to imagine that any woman would long for the kind of enraptured love that Jacob had for his wife, despite the incredible complications that were inherent in that relationship. There was Boaz and Ruth. You read about their particular relationship and their marriage in Ruth chapter 4. Boaz is drawn to the loyalty of Ruth. And that was first demonstrated in her relationship, wait, with, with her mother-in-law. She had been married before her husband had died. She was a Moabitess and the idea was Naomi would go back home. She could stay and remarry and, and go on with her life. But no, in, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, she says, Entreat me not to leave you, nor to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death separate you and me. I love you, Naomi. And I can only imagine with the intensity, the, the personality that she had in, in loving another human being, how that was so attractive to Boaz. Here is someone who is going to put herself as a seal upon my heart. There was Mary and Joseph. Matthew chapter one. We don't often talk about their relationship. We talk about Mary and Jesus. Have you thought much about how much Joseph, even in their early stages of the courting phase of their relationship, Joseph is intending to marry Mary. In fact, they are, they are betrothed. They're going to be married, and he finds out she's pregnant. He knows he's not responsible for that, and so what am I going to do? You know, my reputation, her reputation. It isn't until the angel of the Lord intervenes to tell Joseph the big picture, that Joseph accepts what has happened, and he ultimately marries Mary. But can you imagine the relationship that had to exist between the two of them. To my knowledge, there isn't anybody else party to all of this information. But folks knew that this was an undue pregnancy. And so what has happened? Can you imagine the murmurs that must have been going on behind? And yet in their own hearts, and especially Mary, throughout a lifetime of association with Jesus, keeping all of these truths, the scripture says, in her heart. What a love that must have been between Joseph and Mary. And then I was thinking, you know, where did all this begin? Well, with Adam and Eve. Their relation 
ship, uh, particularly described in Genesis 2 and 3, we often get to the point of our own complication with them, and that is the matter of sin. And so, yeah, Eve, she saw the fruit was good for food. It was desirable to make one wise. She took that fruit. She ate it. She gave it to her husband, and then he ate it. And we find out the main problem here, Paul tells Timothy, is that she was deceived. She was deceived. But have you thought, Adam, Adam wasn't deceived. Adam took that fruit and he ate it. What kind of, what kind of love, what kind of depth of relationship, what kind of consideration for another soul would cause you to look upon one who is already condemned in their sin because of acquiescing to a deception and then you voluntarily take that fruit and partake of it. Would your love carry you that far? I think about Jesus' love for us the tenacity of it, how that he claims us and then he just won't let us go. John chapter 10, 27 and following. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. My father which gave them to me is greater than all and no one, is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. Nobody can take us back when the Lord has, has taken us to himself. Well, I say nobody. The sheep could reject their shepherd. But as far as the Lord is concerned, I am not going to let go. If something happens in this relationship, Jesus says, it's not going to be on my end. Marital love is also vehement. He says its flame is a flame of fire, a most vehement flame. You know what fire does? Fire engulfs. It can easily get out of control. It's powerful. It fuses things together. Have you seen the aftermath of a fire? It's just like things melted in the intensity of that fire. He says that love is vehement like that. It's like it just, it melts, it melts them together. It fuses things. Isn't that what marriage is? Again, we go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verses 23 and 24 when God had created the woman and presented her to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. 
It is like two entities have now been melted in the intensity of their love into one being. She said, I I want to be the seal on your heart. I want to be that. Not just some document that says so. I'm telling you that I am yours and you are mine. It reminds me too, again, of the intensity of our love for Jesus. Yes, is that not true? Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. I just, I ache for you, Lord. Matthew chapter five and verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they'll be filled. I just, I long for you. I desire you so greatly and deeply. You remember Peter. Peter's in that inner circle. And I know we, we, the scriptures, identify John as being the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. Yeah, but he loved, he loved James and Peter too. They're right there in that inner circle. So, Peter's the one most often, you know, the spokesman, and he's always jumping out there first, and he's declaring Jesus as the Son of God. Of all of those apostles, John included, we would say Peter is the one who really got it. And such was the intensity of their love. The love of Peter for Jesus. And yet Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. As much as all this is true, and you're never going to believe it, but as much as this is true, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter just vehemently denied it. Luke chapter 22, verses 61 and 62. This is after the rooster has crowed. Peter has already denied the Lord three times. That text says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered what the Lord had said to him. Verse 62 says that he departed and wept bitterly. Why did he do that? You know, because despite the fact that, he, yeah, he denied him. He did just exactly like the Lord said he would do. He did the very thing that he would, he would have never thought possible. I would never do this to you. And yet he did it. And when the Lord, can you just imagine, that's you. You have sinned, you've committed that sin you would have never committed. And now the Lord has turned to look at you eye to eye. How do you feel about that? I'll tell you how Peter felt. And he went away just bitterly weeping. What have I done? Such is a love that is vehement. It is on fire. I would never depart. I would never hurt you. And yet there it is. I don't know about you, but would it not be true that every time that sin presents itself, 
We ought to be looking off in the distance and seeing the eyes of Jesus. My doing this hurts you. Marital love is also unquenchable. He says, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. I get the idea in this statement from this precious maiden in her love for the beloved that maybe some had tried. Some had tried to pour water on this relationship, but she's like, it is too late. There is nothing that can stop it now. I'm so devoted to him. And isn't that the devotion we have for the Lord? And the Lord for us? Again, I go to the notion that was established there in John 10, that there isn't anything that could snatch us out of his hands or out of God's hands. So this examination of the love of Christ from Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword? As it is written, we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing whether it is in heaven or on earth, nothing. Well, let me back up. Nothing external to this relationship can do it. And Jesus isn't backing out of it. The only thing that can stand in the way of this awesome power of love is myself. How, how would I ever think to reject Jesus who loves me so much? If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Another way to frame that would be in the form of a question, I suppose. What is it that you would give for true love? You say, Ken, I would give anything for it. That's exactly right. There's anything in this world more valuable than true love. I'm thankful that it comes in two different ways for our existence, aren't you? It can come in marital love, where one's heart is sealed upon another's heart. And it also comes in the love of Jesus Christ, who died to save us, not not just physically in resurrected form, but spiritually for an eternity.
Do you know that kind of love? Have you experienced the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins? If you have not, today's the day to experience that. To have your sins washed away by the blood that he shed on that cross so many years ago. It is made real and alive today in baptism. You'll be immersed in that water, buried with Christ in baptism to death, and you will leave behind the old man of sin. You'll rise up in newness of life. Your sins will have been forgiven. You're a new creature, a seal upon his heart, upon his arm. Maybe it is you've already made that commitment, but you know, he didn't go anywhere. He did not forsake you. But do you see Jesus looking at you eye to eye from across the way? Maybe you committed sin. You feel the guilt of it, but it's just something you keep down low. Peter was confronted with his sin without even a word spoken. Today, is Jesus looking at you knowingly? Is there something standing between you and the love that he so freely gives? Again, he didn't go anywhere. Why don't you return to him today? If there's anybody who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come while we stand together and sing?
Supper. Turn to number 350, if you will. 350.
If there are any of those who lack the Lord's emblems for the supper this morning, would you please raise your hand and the ushers will assist you. If you would, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. From the King James Version. Let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you would please bow with me as we give thanks for the bread. Our Father who art in heaven, how thankful we are to call you our heavenly Father. Father, we thank you for this day, for all the many blessings of it. And Father, now as we partake of this bread, which is a symbol of your son's body, we pray, Father, we take it in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable, acceptable to thee. In Christ's name I pray, amen. And now for the cup, please bow with me. Father in heaven, we remember your son, remember his love, his boundless love for each and every one of us, for his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. Father, help us to realize that without the shedding of his blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. We pray, fathers, we partake of this cup. We do so in a manner pleasing to thee. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Into life I turn again, learning all the work of pain, learning all the light that lies in a full kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day and all the many wonderful blessings that You've blessed us with. And Father, we thank Thee for our health and for our jobs and for our ability to do our jobs. Let us now give back a portion of our means if we've been prospered. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name, amen.
Um, I just want to say uh, thank you again for everybody that helped out last night for the uh, Valentine's banquet. I've heard nothing but compliments from the food, so I just want to give a special shout out to Steve Barnett and Jody for that. They worked from they got here like 9:30 yesterday morning and worked till 10 o'clock last night. So make sure you say thank you to them if you attended it last night. And youth, make sure you say thank you to them. Also, uh, CYC. That's the next big thing on the list. So uh, if you haven't paid your dues to see for CYC yet, come, come see me. Thank you. Good morning. We do have just a few more announcements before we dismiss. We had a 309 in attendance today. There will be a brief meeting in the little chapel after evening services for all lads of the leaders' speech tonight. It's time to update our servants list for the attended nursery on Sunday morning. Ladies who are willing to serve in the attended nursery are asked to sign the list on the welcome table in the foyer. Thank you so much for your willingness to serve. This is from Charles Bonham. It says, my brother-in-law Floyd Vidler went to meet his Lord Friday. Floyd was very active in the church as a young man, he served as a preacher, and after he retired from his commercial job, he continued to serve the Lord in mission work. He helped teach new preachers in Africa and in China. My biggest regret is that I did not get to know him better, for he was a great role model. Please pray for my sister Connie and his family. They are living in Arlington, Texas. No arrangements have been made at this time. There are several announcements on the back of the bulletin. Just please keep the proposed new deacons in your prayers. It's Todd English, Stephen Hodgen, Cameron Jumper, Chris Langley, Jody Long, and Jonathan Farr. Also, uh, was asked to mention the Golden Circle. will have their monthly luncheon this coming Tuesday at 11.30 in the Annex. And as Ken just reminded me, uh, as we were back there, we are all a part of God's family. So as we stand to be dismissed in prayer, everyone please stand with me and uh, if you'll join hands with the person next to you as we close with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with hearts that are full as you remind us again of your awesome unlimited power and love God we thank you for what you are doing here and how much you have blessed us and this morning God we lift Claire up to you we ask that we do our part to be the best example we can please help her along her way and God, please forgive us where we messed up. And we ask God that as we go out into the world this week, that you please help us be a little better today than we were yesterday. And if we see tomorrow, God, help us be tomorrow, be better tomorrow than we were today. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.